Thanks for joining us here at Temple Baptist Church in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. If you would like to see other resources or learn more about our ministry, check out www.tbccentralia.com. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. Good morning, church. Are you ready, or are you set, or are you going? Not ready? I think uh, Tony's song went right along with the children's message. Brian was talking about everybody going like this. Everybody go like that. Okay. Now, I want you to realize (laughs) you're not saying I'm number one, but you're pointing to the one who is. Amen. Amen. And uh, uh, we, we all need to be ready so that we can work for God or we can play in this game of life. Have you ever thought of life as a game? And uh, as I was uh, preparing for this this week, and, and of course I knew it was Bible school, and I knew I had, I had to preach to these thousands of people. <laughs> and they're even back there where I can see them. Made me a little bit nervous. I was, uh, and as I come in here this morning, I was thinking, somebody needs to sing the national anthem, all these people here. But uh, it's really good to be here this morning. And as I was looking through the Bible, thinking about a sports theme and thinking about games, there's not a lot in the Bible about football. There's not a lot in the Bible about baseball. The only reference I could find about baseball is in Genesis 1-1, and it says, in the big inning. (laughs) And by the way, I want you to know my Cubs are in first place. (laughs) Seven and a half games ahead of the Cardinals, who just fired their manager. You don't want me to go on? Uh, but anyway, as I was looking for, the, the only really reference I can find in the Bible is about a race. And when we begin a game, whether it's with your wife or whether it's you're a team or it doesn't matter what game it is, when you begin, what is your main goal? To win. <laughs> and... We all start out with this same goal in mind, but usually when we get into the game, we see how the game is going to go. And we like to see the score, us being the home team at 45 and the visitors at 35. And that's, that gives us more encouragement to play the game harder because we are winning. But the problem is, once in a while... The home team is 35, and the visitors are 45. And it's easy for us to get discouraged in the middle of our game and say, I give up. I give up. 
whenever Kay and I play games, and we play cards and dominoes and things like that. Dominoes is kind of the Barnes family. Anybody else play dominoes? Oh, a couple of you. Uh, and it's just Kay and I, so usually, in, in the last couple of days, I've been winning all the time. And she, she always says, you're not going to beat me this game. And sometimes she's right, sometimes she's wrong. But our goal is to win the prize. Now, the prize around our house just playing dominoes is I get to say I won. (laughs) Or she gets to say she won. But in life, as we run this race, our goal should be to, to run through the pearly gates. But first of all, we have to be get ready, and then we have to get set, and then we have to go. And here's what I find. A, a, a lot of people find that, that uh, they, they think that this Christian life and Christ, the game of Christianity, for lack of better terms, I know it's not a game, but... Uh, for this morning, I'm going to refer to it as a game. Uh, this game of Christianity, we kind of think of it as a game of, that we just sprint for a while and we stop. There's so many people who have accepted Christ and come to, come to an altar of prayer somewhere, made a profession of faith, and they, they go so very strong for a while, then before too long, they kind of die out and begin to get complacent. In this game of Christianity. And that's sad. I want to tell you about a race down in a a marathon, if you will, down in Australia. The longest marathon, ultra marathon in the entire world. It runs from, from Sydney, Australia to Melbourne, Australia. And it is only, let me get my facts right so I don't, so I don't fib to you. It is only, anybody want to care a guess? 543.7 miles. Now that's a long way. And in 1983, all of there was, they have 150 participants in this race. I don't know who's crazy enough to try to run 543.7 miles, do you? Not me. I'd be lucky to make the point seven. But in, in 1983, they were, they were signing up and all these athletes, and, and you can imagine how these guys looked. They're planning on running 543.7 miles in a course of five to six days. Now, I don't think Ron would even want to ride his bicycle that far, or Gary. Gary might try it, but... <laughs> But there was an old man, 62 years old, come up in his overalls, and he had on, and I'm going to throw this old-time term at you because probably some of the younger people don't know what they are. He had galoshes on over his work boots. Anybody remember the galoshes? I hated them when I was a kid. Pulled them up and had the buckles on them, and he had them over his work boots, and everybody thought, well, he'd come to watch the race. And <clears throat> as he walked up to the table where everybody was signing up, he said, 
I'd like to have a number. Now, first of all, I'm 68 years old, and I have no desire to run in a marathon. But this guy, he was from Australia, and he signed up, and his name was Cliff Young. He was actually a potato farmer and sheep herder in Australia, had 2,000 acres and about 2,000 head of sheep. And when, we had, when they were predicting weather like we had last night, a couple of days ahead, he would go out and round up his 2,000 sheep scattered over these 2,000 acres and bring them in so that they would be safe. And sometimes it took him two and three days to do that. Now, the old man walked up and said, I'd like to have a number. And for those of you who like facts, his number was 64. And they all kind of gathered around together, you know, there at the starting line. And, and everybody's getting, getting ready. And, and the, the crowd was saying, what's that old man doing in there among these 18, 19, 20-year-olds, 20 20, up, up to 25-year-olds who train day after day after day after day for this endurance race. And they looked around, and he had this number 64 on him. And they thought, this is a joke. Have you ever seen something like that where you thought, this is really a joke? This is stupid. What's that old guy doing among all these athletes? Well, pretty soon, the, the, the guy who started the race shot his uh, uh, pistol up in the air, and everybody just took off running except this old man. And he began to shuffle. Now, Kay and I used to try to walk together, and she walks twice as fast as I do. I know she's kind of short and, and built low to the ground, but she can, she can walk. Me, I shuffle. And pretty soon she'll turn around. She said, are you coming or not? And I say, just go ahead. <laughs> because whenever I walk... I just kind of walk like this, a normal pace for me. And all these athletes took off, kind of in a jogging, what we call a jogging, and, and this old man begins to shuffle. As the race goes on, the main way that these athletes participated in this race is they would run for 18 hours, and stop and sleep for six. Well, someone forgot to tell Cliff Young that. And he actually shuffled for over five days without sleep. This is a true story, I'm telling you. I'm, I didn't make this up, believe it or not. I was going to tell you about the, the hare and the tortoise, but you all remembered that one. <laughs> And he actually won that marathon by going without sleep. And it wasn't just a, uh, a close race. He finished, set the world record for finishing that marathon. And his, the guy who come in second 
was nine hours and 52 minutes behind him. And the whole idea of this story that I've been telling you is in our Christian walk of life, we have to keep going. We have to continue day in and day out. When we get tired, if God has something for us to do, we need to go ahead and do it. Amen? I love Brian to death. I really do. And I've spent time with him this weekend. We was passing out those flyers and everything. And a lot of times him and I would go out together. And you could tell he had been without sleep. <laughs> he gets a little punchy. He wears things on his head. <laughs> but we keep going. We're like, we should be like the Energizer Bunny. Just keep on and on and on and on and on. You have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. I want to read to you. And then uh, Gary got all over my message this morning talking about Hebrews. I need to talk to you about that. <laughs> it says, Do you not know? 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 says, Do you not know that those who run a race all run? What good would it do to enter into a race when you couldn't run? Cliff did it. And by the way, after, after this, this thing with Cliff was all over and said and done, the athletes began to study the way he shuffled. And it became known as, uh, let me get this right, as, the, as Cliff's, Cliff's shuffle. And it became a way of life for a lot of people who run. But anyway, don't you know that all who run in a race, all run. You join this race to run. That's your main objective. And your main objective is to be across the finish line before everyone else. And as I was thinking about this, uh, I, I, I thought about the kids today. And I love kids. I really do. They're kind of like little kittens. Before too long, they grow up and to be cats. Well, little kids grow up to be adults like us. But the kids are cute, aren't they? Aren't they? Kittens are cute. Cats, eh, okay. But anyway, adults get the same way. <laughs> but in this day and age, if we have a contest, we give participation awards. So we don't hurt their self-esteem. Ten kids race, okay, we get a winner, then we get a first and second, and then we have all the rest of get participant awards. And whenever I was growing up, I was a kid who wasn't good at sports. I was a kid who whenever you were sitting there in gym class, all of you, and they pick out two people to, to get the teams for the basketball, I was the one left sitting on the bench whenever everyone else, and they say, we'll take him. And whenever they chose me to be the captain of the team, everybody else, whenever it was the other guy's turn, they were all going, pick me, pick me, pick me. I didn't win participation awards. <laughs> I learned to realize that I wasn't good at some things. This verse says, you know, we all run. 
but one receives a prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Now, there's something in that verse I want you to notice. We need to do our very best. Whenever we're working for Jesus, when we're working for God, when we're working for the church, it says run in such a way that you, must, that you may obtain it. If you start the game with the idea of I'm not going to win, you won't do well. So we need to, whenever we start this game or, and, and this walk in our Christian life, we need to make a mindset of ourselves that we are going to do well. We are going to do what God wants us to do and not just be mediocre, kind of like I am in sports and everything else. We need to do our very, very best, even if it is mediocre. Amen? Amen. Now, verse 25 says, And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. In other words, this temperate means that we have conditioned ourselves to do the very best that we can. That's the reason I never could run a race because I carry this around. That's the reason that I wasn't good at basketball because I'm not good at faking it. <laughs> I'm not good at shooting. But whenever, whatever uh, sport you are, uh, that you are in life, you try your very best at it. And I have found in my short years on this earth, which are longer than I care to remember, that the things that you enjoy, you will excel in. I have grandkids who play basketball and baseball, and I love to go watch them. And their parents don't mind spending hundreds of dollars to take them to games, to send them to different camps so that they can get better, because that's what they want to do. And it's the same way in our Christian life. If you want to be a soul saver for Jesus, it has to be something that you desire to do. Because if you do not desire to win other people to Christ, you will never win anyone. If you do not desire to be a good basketball player, you'll never be one. No matter how much talent you have. So we have to apply ourselves to what is really important. Now, it says, now they do it to obtain perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. The, the, whenever we are uh, walking for God and running for God and racing for God, we do it because there is a crown for us somewhere up in heaven. Amen? And we do it not only just so that we can run around saying... I'm number one, look how good I am, but we can say, look how good God is. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus, I fight as one who beats the air. Have you ever seen the boxers go around and they're, they're just beating the air and they're wasting their time other than they're, they're honing their skills? But he says, I do this with uncertainty. He said, I fight. Not as one who beats here. And then verse 27. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. There's a lot in that verse. And one of the things that I want to point out is your witness. 
And that's what this verse is talking about. If you have to walk the walk if you're going to talk the talk. In other words, you can't come in here on Sunday morning and be Joe spiritual and go outside and be something totally opposite. Because no one will listen to you. Amen? Now, if you live the Christian life on the outside of the doors, people will begin to pay attention. And they, because someone is watching you, whether you like it or not, there is someone out in this world who's looking at you and saying, if that person can do this, I can do it. If that person lives like this, then I can live like that. And if it's good, that's great. But if it's not, that's not so good. You see, we have to be telling people about Jesus. And not only that, we have to be showing people about Jesus. Now, in Hebrews chapter 12, where somebody walked all over my message this morning. <laughs> not mentioning names, Gary. <laughs> It says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We all have a race. We all have something that God has planned out for us. Some people... Are ministers, God has planned that out. Some people are deacons, God has planned that out. Some people are trustees, God has planned that out. Some people are pew setters. God has more for you than just to come and sit in a pew. He has a job for you, and we need to be doing it because we need to be obtaining this crown that we're going to be talking about a little bit. Now, in verse 2... It says, looking unto Jesus. Jesus should be our example. Amen? Of everything that we do in life, Jesus should be our example. And he's the one that we should look for whenever we think, well, would, would, uh, I love that, that saying, you know, what would Jesus do? I, I really love that. And I still use it today in my own life. And whenever I think about something that uh, I, I'm, I'm contemplating on, well, what would Jesus do in this situation? What, what should we do? What, what does God really want us to do? The author and finisher of our faith. I like that because he started it and he's going to end it. Now, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God? 20 years ago, and you all might get tired of me talking about this cancer thing that I had. And if you do, sorry. 20 years ago, after, about, after two surgeries, and, and uh, uh, as they told me I was going to have to have chemotherapy. And I want to tell you something. For that six months in there was the absolute worst time of my life. I felt bad. Everything tasted bad. And you know Baptists, we got to eat. Everything tasted like you had a nail stuck in your mouth and you was chewing on it. Had that iron taste. Every week, I would go, in, go to Mount Vernon and take chemo 
therapy, and, and I'd come home, and it would wring me out. I would be tired. I would just go to the couch and lay down, and, and uh, uh, it, was, it was just horrible for six months. And the doctor kept telling me, Ray, it's going to get better. And then he would give me another dose, and it would be that much worse. But he kept saying, we're gaining on it, and everything's going to be better. And for six months, I'd go to Mount Vernon for six weeks, and then I'd be off two weeks and six weeks, and then I'd be off two weeks and six weeks. And it started out where I could work, and it ended up where I couldn't work because they just didn't have any strength. And I'm telling you this to make you realize that the doctor said if it's going to get better, and here I am 20 years later still standing here pro- proclaiming his word. You see, sometimes we have to endure things to make things better. When I was a kid, I got, I got uh, bronchitis really bad, and Mom always took me to Dr. Bosch at Patoka, and, and uh, I, I really loved that guy. But he would always give me these throat lunges. And he said, you need, to, you need to take these, you know, four or five times a day. And they tasted like black licorice. Ooh. Ooh. But you know what? I always felt better. Sometimes we have to endure things to get where everything is right. And as Christians, sometimes we have to endure heartaches. Sometimes we have to endure troubled times. Jesus said, it says here that that Jesus endured the cross and none of us have suffered anything like Jesus did on the cross. But if you'll notice there, it says, for the joy, for the joy that he knew was coming. He endured the heartaches. He endured the pain. He endured having nails driven through his hands and feet. He endured a physical death. He endured the slapping and the spitting. And he endured uh, the whippings that, that he took because he knew that on the other side something was going to be right. And he, he, he would uh, set a way for us so that we, as born-again believers in Jesus Christ, would have a home in heaven. And, and no more uh, would we have to make sacrifices or no more would we have to do anything like that. But he is the finisher of our faith. And everything hinges on Jesus Christ as we run this race. Now... To get ready, we have to be a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. First step, as you go to the start line, you have to be, ask Jesus into your heart. As we get set, here's some Barnesology. You don't have to believe this if you don't want to. But the next step is Baptism. Which shows your obedience. We're getting, we're ready, we're set, and the pistol has fired. Now let's go. Let's go. Let's do what God wants us to do. Let's come and work in Bible school. Let's continue to reach out into the community. Let's continue to witness. 
Let's continue to be a good neighbor. Let's continue to, as, as Brian told us this morning, first of all, to love God and secondly, to love our neighbors. That's how we go. Now, one more verse and I'm going to close. I know you all like to hear that. Some pastors say that four times. First Peter chapter 5, verse 4. At the end of the race. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will, not maybe, receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. At the end of the race, when all is said and done, if you have run your best, if you have continued, sometimes we stop and rest, but we must continue. Keep plugging on. Then there's a crown that does not fade away. And you know what? It lasts forever. This old life is temporary. As I of a morning when I go out and get the newspaper, look, I always turn back to the obituaries, make sure I'm not in it. But I have this crazy thing that I do. I look at the ages of people. And I think, well, this one wasn't blessed as much as I was. This one, look, 95 years old. They were really blessed. And then I, I, I do this crazy thing in my head. I kind of average them out and see if I'm still okay. <laughs> but one of these days, if Jesus stays his coming... We're all going to die. And if we've run the race well, if we have followed what this book says, there's a crown of life waiting for you that God is going to give you. And he's going to say, Enter in, thou good and faithful servant. Now, I would be neglecting my duties if I didn't tell you what would happen if you did not get ready, set, and go. When you die at that same time where God is telling someone to enter in, he's telling someone else, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I don't know you. And if that, he says that to you, my friend, you get to spend eternity in a devil's hell. Some people say, well, all my friends are there anyway. You don't have any friends. And the main thing I want to bring out is I hope you've already ready. I hope you're already set. And let's get going. There's work to do. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, simply go to www.tbccentralia.com forward slash next. You see, here at TBCC, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.